Okay, so we are, um, you remember we started our biblical counseling class with a series going through bioethics, and the first thing that we talked about, we spent the first two weeks talking about euthanasia, and tried to cover that not only from the legal perspective, but also from a counseling perspective on how we might shepherd those who are in situations where uh, either through hospital stays or home health care, this would become an issue. Um, Bioethics, as I said before, is an issue that has really taken kind of a back seat today, although the the debate rages more um, intensely than ever. The reason that it's taken a back seat is because there have been so many other issues that have been thrust to the forefront that seem to occupy the front lines of Christian conviction. Uh, You know, the LGBT movements, uh, we see what I call a homosexual revolution. Um, and so bioethics has kind of taken a back seat, but we uh, neglect it to our own peril. So today we want to talk about embryonic stem cell research. This is something that you may have heard about. And uh, as you guys indicated to me last week, um, it was something that you wanted to cover. So we're going to look at this. And the first thing we have to ask is, why do we want to talk about this? Why is this something that is worth our time in the church? Uh, Well, certainly it's worth our time because it is one of the contemporary problems of our time. Uh, Science and technology are pushing the envelope on progress, and oftentimes their idea of progress spills into ethical and moral issues. And so we need a a solid Christian apologetic for these issues. We need a defense and interpretation which promotes biblical truth and behavior. Um, Another reason we need to talk about this is because we are in the age of postmodernism, and postmodernism is a philosophy that is eroding objective truth. Um, The reason I say that is because postmodernism readily denies any absolute truth, and especially the authority of Scripture. And this is what we're seeing all over. I mean, if it's right for me, then who are you to say that it's not right? And so when you jettison objective truth, you have nothing to stand on. You have nothing by which to measure anything else. And um, so uh, this has really taken hold in this particular field. Also, science and technology have been very subtle in presenting these issues to the public. In other words, they present it in a way that sounds very amiable. It sounds very positive. It sounds very appealing. And so the average person who isn't really up on science or technology might listen to something like this and say, wow, this this sounds like a great thing. This sounds like something that we're really making some breakthroughs. And they're unaware of the ungodly philosophies that are behind some of these advances. Also, the bio-revolution of today affects our core values concerning human life. I mean, really at stake here is the issue of human life. What is the definition of human life? What is the value of human life? I mean, it really boils down to, um, are, we, are we murdering people? Um, and we need to understand these issues in light of the Bible. And so we have to be educated. And again, when we get into discussions with people. We want to do it in love, but we want to to do it in such a way that we're really helping them to see the truth of what these things are all about, especially those in the Christian community. 
I would venture to say that most Christians would not have too much of an understanding of this issue at large. So we need to understand it. So we need to understand the ethical, the moral implications of these things. And with that, we go down to question number two. What is embryonic stem cell research? And I'm going to give you a definition. We call it ESCR. So that's the abbreviation. And notice, embryonic stem cell research is the science of harvesting embryonic stem cells from human embryos for the purpose of healing the body and curing many diseases, some of which are currently considered incurable. Now, on the surface, this sounds very promising. Can you understand why somebody might hear this? And on the surface, they might say, this is fantastic. I mean, we can get some cells and we can... We can interject these into a, in a person who's ill or had an incurable illness and heal them, and this is going to be great. And, and we might think, wow, this is, this is great research. You know, this is for the good. Um, <clears throat> and why is there such an interest in this? Why do we take such an interest in embryonic stem cells? Well, first of all, we have to understand a little science. So I'm not a scientist here, but I'll do my best. Robert had to come in right now. So he's going to, you know... He's going, to hold me to, he's going to hold my feet to the fire. If he asks me anything hard, I'm not answering it. I'm pleading the fifth, okay? That's still in the Constitution, right? Okay. First of all, stem cells have the potential to develop into different types of cells, and everybody has stem cells in their body. And there are basically two types of stem cells, embryonic and adult. And we see that... <clears throat> Embryonic stem cells come from human embryos. They form in the early days of human development before individual cells receive their assignment. So, for example, every cell receives their assignment. Um, so before they turn into blood cells, before they turn into brain cells or hair cells, they're kind of neutral. Now, you can understand why this might be of interest to scientists, right? Because here we have... How many of you guys play Scrabble? Anybody? Okay. I have to with my mom. I love Scrabble, actually. Yeah. Well, if you know anything about Scrabble, every once in a while you'll get a blank tile, okay? And you can make that any letter you want. So it's kind of nice because, you know, you can just make it any letter. Well, in similar fashion, that's how scientists look at embryonic stem cells. They say, okay, this is a newly formed cell. It hasn't been assigned yet, so we can kind of make a genetic code and make it what we want. Now, why would that be an advantage? Because of the fact that if there are damaged cells or cancerous cells, we can just make cells to replace the damaged ones and we can cure. <clears throat> um, scientists speculate that these immature or blank cells are easily coaxed into becoming any number of cell types, therefore holding great promise for healing the human body with possible cures for diabetes, heart disease, treatment of burns, and spinal cord injuries. And <clears throat> this potential has gotten many people excited about this research. Um, and besides, the use of adult stem cells in medical treatment is, is not new. Uh, adult stem cells come from a variety of sources, the placenta, umbilical cord, blood, brain tissue, skin, bone marrow, body fat, etc. And we know that for years, leukemia patients have obtained stem cells through bone marrow transplants. Cancer patients receive their own cleansed stem cells after chemotherapy. And so we see that adult stem cells have a proven track record of helping patients in the healing process, okay? 
Now, with that in mind, what's the problem? What's the problem? <clears throat> the problem is that a human embryo is, by biological definition, a complete human life. Okay? It's a complete human life. Biologically, life begins at conception. Now, I'm going to argue that point. I'm going to say that that's not true, and I'm going to tell you why I believe that. Okay? So that ought to whet your appetite a little bit, and you can feel free to discuss with me. But I think when I prove my point, you'll say, praise the Lord. Um, we know that when sperm and egg unite, the new embryonic life is 100% human, that the embryo is complete with 46 human chromosomes, a unique genetic code, and that's the beginning of all life. Uh, and, and we know the stages of life, that we have the embryo, the fetus, we have an infant, a toddler, adolescent, adult. So those are basically what we see. Now, to classify any one of these stages as a life that's not human discriminates based on age, appearance, or location. And this is where the, the real battle lies, <clears throat> because the issue is that to harvest embryonic stem cells, we have to take a human life, because these stem cells are taken from a living human embryo. Okay? Harvesting adult stem cells, however, requires no destruction of human life, and therefore, ESCR raises some important questions, okay? And this has created really a firestorm of moral and ethical questions, questions such as, is it acceptable to destroy a human embryo for his or her stem cells? What is the value of human life? When does life really begin? And when is human life worthy of protection? That's a huge battle right now on a lot of fronts, isn't it? Where will science and the law draw the line? So far, they haven't drawn it in the right places, as far as I'm concerned. So let's look at the raging debate here. Um... There are those who, first of all, are for ESCR, and there are many institutes, and I'm not going to take time to tell you all of the places that are really pro-stem cell. Um, but this is what I do want you to know, that the greatest <clears throat> support for ESCR is coming from a massive group of people who are supporting a movement known as utilitarianism. Okay, it is this utilitarianism movement. Does anybody know what what that word means. I mean, I have the definition up there, but without looking, anybody ever heard that term before, utilitarianism? Okay. Yes, we've heard the term, but let's look at the definition. It's, it's a movement which seeks to redefine ethics as that which allows and promotes the devaluation of one group of human beings for the alleged benefit of others. Now, let's, let's think through this a minute. What do you think is the greatest philosophy that would lead to a utilitarian type of belief? Anybody want to take a stab at that? And if I name the name Charles Darwin, does that mean that? Evolution. And why would that be? What does evolution say? Survival of the fittest, right? In other words, how do species evolve? Survival of the fittest. If you're fit, you survive. If you don't, you don't survive. And the idea here is, is that, look, 
we want to create the best medically sound, physically sound, emotionally sound human being. So if we have to sacrifice this to get this, then that's a justifiable trade-off. Okay? Right? So that's the idea of utilitarianism, that um, if, if one group benefits, even if we have to sacrifice another group, then that's a worthwhile trade, trade-off. Um, <clears throat> we could say it this way, utilitarianism is the promotion of pure science without regard to ethical or moral issues. So what they do is they take the ethical and the moral issues out of this, and it's just pure science and basically what do we feel is going to benefit people the most. It's a science without ethical or moral regard. A science without ethical or moral regard. Now, utilitarianism really emerged... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. As in, like, they think it's ethical and moral to save a fitter versus a less fit person, as in, like, to sacrifice once for the for the salvation of others, in their view? Yeah. Wouldn't that be their view of ethical and moral? You know, it, it probably would be, but the problem with that, and remember, Robert, what we said, is that in, in a biblical perspective, yeah, you know, yeah, here, here's the problem again, let me state it, because that's a good question. They look at quality of life, and that's why you would sacrifice. But in the Bible, we look at the sanctity of life. You know, so when, when, when someone sees somebody who seems beyond hope, let's say they're severely handicapped or just incredibly ill or just seem to be, from a human perspective, not viable members of society, they look at that in a quality sense. We, as believers, look at it as a sanctity of life issue, that all life is sacred before God. So I think what, what I would say would be that, you know, you then, if, if you're going to say that, then you have to determine value. Yeah, so the utilitarianism would be a science that is without the regard of biblically... Absolutely, right, exactly. In other words, and again, this, this again, you see the domino effect? You know, it go, it, it's an evolutionary kind of outlay, but also it goes back to the, to the point that we, um, you know, we have the right to decide apart from the objective truth of a holy God. In other words, it just keeps any kind of objective truth out of it. And as soon as you get into postmodernism, and as soon as you get into a subjective truth, then you decide what's true. And this, and this is what we're seeing in our college campuses all over the place, aren't we? I mean, God is pretty much you know, if you promote a biblical worldview in most of your college campuses, they'll either stone you, throw you off campus, or disregard you altogether. Because they don't want that objective truth. There is no objective truth. And so this is the problem that we have. Yes? So, um, to phrase it another way, or... I love it to phrase it another way. I, I'd like to phrase to it another way. Ask a question yes. to clarify yes. how, how you're fighting Yes. Uh, if we're dealing with the, the trolley problem. The, the what problem? Trolley problem. So there's a runaway trolley. A runaway trolley. Okay, and, uh, this is good. It's going to kill three people. Right. Who are 
some crazy person tied them to the tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to run over them. However, uh, there's somebody nearby who is an enormous person. Uh -huh. And if you shove them in front of the train, it's going to derail the train and it will not hit those three people. So you can choose to kill that one person. You have to push them. But it will save those other three people. Okay, good question. Here's what I'd say. You're not choosing to kill anybody. If I'm in an emergency situation, let's say that I'm in a room and there's five people drowning and I can only get two of them, I'm going to say, well, I can't do that because that's not fair. No, I'm going to say who I can. No, so this one is active, though. I'm saying you have to choose by pushing that person in front of the train uh, or they're not going to, in the same sense that you can choose to kill the... Uh, but am I really choosing to kill? I don't think I would push somebody in front of a train. I mean, personally. Um, but I wouldn't see that as choosing to kill the other three. You know, I would certainly... No, I like you can choose to kill the fat guy. To save <laughs> Jack, yes. this is taught constantly in schools and corporations. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's called situational ethics. Yeah, situational ethics, exactly. And it is situational ethics, yeah. And here again, you know, we find ourselves in all kinds of situations... Um, when I was in the Army during the Vietnam War and we were going through combat training, you know, you're taught how to, how to take care of guys, what you can do and what you can't do. And, you know, there are situational ethics is, is difficult because every situation is different. Um, and here again, I, as a believer, would never want to take a stance where I would purposely cause the death of one to save others. I would do what I could to save who I could. I would do what I could. I would willingly, if God gave me the grace, lay down my life for another. I think that's something that we often see. Um, if I thought somebody was just about to shoot you, when I step in front of them, I'm going to let you think about that. <laughs> I would hope I would, Rusty, you know, because of the fact that I believe that, you know, to lay down your life for, for another. So I think there is... There are situations that I think are warranted that, that fall in line with biblical truth. Um, if somebody pushed a, a bigger guy in front of a trolley to save three guys, um, I don't know what I would say. I mean, it would be, I, I don't know that I could do that. But, um, but, the, but the difference, I think, between the situation, and, and there are a lot of those that are very interesting and very sticky, but I think the difference between that and this is you know, first of all, defining objectively what a human embryo is, and then a purposeful act to, you know, to destroy that you know, embryo. Which would be like, in your scenario, saying, you know what, there's a trolley coming, nobody's on the track, but I'm going to push him in front of it anyway. Because it'll slow it down. And there might be great benefit. Because, I mean, you know, if the trolley slows down, it could hit somebody, and he's not that valuable to society anyway, so... What you're saying is... Oh, no. I knew I was going to get tripped up somewhere. Am I in the 50-yard? Yeah, let's move on. Okay. Let's move on. Thank you. we all have something we want to say. Yes. Okay. Uh, where am I here? Did I say everything on this page? Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see. Notable supporters. Um, so... The end result of harvesting embryonic stem cells will be so positive for a large number of people that it will pr prove to be the right thing to do, okay? Um, and they look at the potential of good for treating or healing diseases such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, etc., diabetes. Um, 
Now, here again, it's a chilling kind of thing because if you think of the philosophies of men like Hitler and Stalin and even Osama bin Laden, you, you realize how parallel some of this thinking is. I mean, what did Hitler want to do in World War II? He wanted to create a master race, didn't he? An Aryan race. And, you know, you think of Stalin who murdered millions to cleanse Russia. And, you know, so, um, so this is an issue to be reckoned with. Now, why, um, let's see, where am I here? Yeah, let me go back. Um, okay, why is ECS, why is this so persuasive? Um, you might want to know that men like Christopher Reeves, Michael J. Fox have promoted this, um, as you might understand, you know, Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's pretty severely. Christopher Reeves, remember, suffered a paralyzing spinal injury, and he, I think he passed away, didn't he? Yeah, he's, he passed away. Um... California Senators Diana Feinstein and Edward Kennedy promoted this. Uh, the media pretty much promoted it, most of them. Uh, most of your secular scientific organizations would support this or have supported it in the past. Jack? Yes? I'm not sure if you're aware, but a lot of this has to do with economics. Yeah. And it's very uh, prevalent sure. in China and North Korea. They're actually harvesting embryos from forced abortions, and they're also taking adult stem cell research with prisoners. They can say anyone's a prisoner. They put them in a, in a jail, and then they start harvesting. Sure. Even in our own country, there's a movement that's saying you shouldn't uh, have any right over your body once you die. Once you die, there are absolutely possible for anyone to harvest any body parts. It's not your decision. So, I mean, it, and it's all because there's a huge amount of money to be made for this, but it's skewed to appear that, oh, we're going to do people so much good, with, so the end justifies the means. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, that's scary. And you see kind of what happens in societies and in dictatorships and in, in these brutal socialist regimes when there is no moral or ethical regard for human life. And it reminds me again back to Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is desperately wicked. And who can know it? And when there are no restraints, I mean, man is capable of the most heinous and hideous perversions. I mean, you look at the medical experiments that they did during World War II on the people in concentration camps. Um, you might remember, you know, they had all kinds of hideous medical experiments that they did on children and women and men, you know, just different, um, just savage and brutal uh, types of things. Yes, oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, I was pointing to you. Oh, okay. I just have a question. So when yeah. you hear about like, stem cell research in the news, does that imply embryonic stem cell research? No, no, it doesn't. No. Okay. Embryonic stem cell research is its own so category. It Right, so, so we're going to see in a minute. I'm not disregarding stem cell research, but I'm making a distinction between embryonic stem cell research. And we're going to get to that in a minute because we're going to look at what the side, which would be us, those that would be against embryonic stem cell research and why we might be against that. Yes? And when you say that embryonic, you're, you're talking about 
as a result of murder of that life and I, I'm asking the question and this might not be true anymore I thought that there had been some research done that they could harvest from like the umbilical cord which mm -hmm. would not right. be right key. which they can any body parts or right. any sacrificing right. sacrifice Sacrifice of the, exactly. the living yeah. being. Exactly. So I'm just trying to clarify yeah. when you say we're against it, it's it's at like an an abortion right. and then taking that fetus and using right. it for that purpose yeah. instead of like say right. using the what would be discarded even in a hospital. Right. You know? And and we're getting there, but you're okay. thinking right. And and what I'm saying is is that. The embryo is the first stage of life, okay? So at this point, they cannot harvest embryonic stem cells without destroying the fetus, without destroying the embryo. Now, that's not true of all stem cell research, and we're going to see that in a minute, okay? But it is true of embryonic stem cell research. You're going to find something very interesting here, I think. So let's, let's look at um, why, what should a Christian's view be on embryonic stem cell research, um, first of all, we want to understand that to cure disease, to alleviate suffering, are noble pursuits. And in no way, shape, or form would I ever want to discourage curing diseases or alleviating suffering. We know that our Lord himself healed on many occasions. I think we have an obligation to render compassion and care to those that we can. So in no way are we to not... Um, pay attention to that. That would be wrong. <clears throat> and the Bible clearly supports the battle against physical illness, and we can see that in Matthew 4, 23 and 24, Colossians 4, 14. Uh, does anybody want to read those two verses? And maybe some of you guys can look down the list there and, and pick up on some of those verses for just a minute. Anybody have Matthew 4? Yeah, go ahead. And he went through all Galilee, in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and para paralytics, and he healed Paralytics, them. yeah. Yes, and so we see Jesus healed. I mean, there was no, there was no moral issue there. Um, and so healing is not something that is in any way looked at in a negative sense in the Bible. Colossians 4.14, anybody have that? Okay, go ahead, Yvette. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Okay, so here we see the beloved physician. You know, he, we see his title here. Uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, we see, is, was a physician. So we see, first of all, we're, we want to establish the fact in our first series of verses that to cure disease, to alleviate suffering is a wonderful thing, and we should do everything we can to do that. But central to the debate is our view of the human embryo, and as I mentioned, biologically, a human life begins at conception and the Bible teaches that human life forms at conception. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Who has it? Okay. Chija, you're on. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in, the mother, in my mother's womb. 
marvelously, marvelous are your words, and that my soul knows very well. Okay. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully brought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and you, in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, as when as yet there were none of them. Okay, so this, I'm going to present my argument that life doesn't begin in the womb, it begins before you're even in the womb. God knew you before he formed any part of you. Isn't that incredible? God knew you from eternity past. So your life didn't begin in the womb, your life began in the heart of God in eternity past, because he knew you before he formed one atom of you, one molecule of you. And what, an, what a staggering truth that is. And, and if there ever was a psalm that really underscored the sanctity of life. It's this. Um, you know, God created men and women of all form, shape, and fashion. Amen? Some of us have more intelligence than others. But, um, you know, that is such a wonderful thing because, um, you know, God knew us. He saw the sanctity of human life. He ordained our days. He knew when we would be brought forth. And uh, who's got Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5? Okay. Uh, well, I saw two hands at the same. Go ahead. Yes. No, I can. No, no, you can go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Amen. So he's talking to Jeremiah. Before you were in the womb, I knew you. Just let that sink in a little bit. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? Before you were even in the womb. So we see that God's view of human life can show us that I think the Bible develops an apologetic against embryonic stem cell research. Um, I think the theology of this really comes out of the book of Romans. And notice Romans 6, 1 and 2. Can somebody read that? Anybody? Anybody have that? I got it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we die to sin still live in Okay, so let's, let's kind of think about the biblical truth here. Should we uh, live in sin that grace may abound? Okay, what is Paul, if we had to paraphrase what Paul's saying there, what would we say? What is, what is Paul saying? Let's put it in just everyday terms. What is, what is Romans 6, 1 and 2 telling us? If we sin more, then God is giving us more. Yeah, so the idea is, well, we're going to justify our sin. We're going to justify doing something really, really bad, because the worse we do something really, really bad, the more and more of God's grace we're going to get to cover it. Right? That's basically what, what the philosophy of the moralist was. You know, that we, we really need to sin more, because the more we sin, the more grace will abound. So they felt that licentiousness would be the way to really opening the floodgates to God's grace. Now, if you take that and you overlay that on those that would promote ESCR, what we see is, well, you know what? We, we can do some, some harm here, but in the long run, we're going to produce the greater good. You see that? So you see how these philosophies kind of run concurrently and how they contradict. And, and, you know, sometimes these contradictions are so subtle, we don't think biblically about, wait a minute here. What really, when we strip away all the veneer of, of, this, of the language, what are they really saying? Um, and Paul said, should we sin more that grace may abound? He said, God forbid, may it never be. We should never take that kind of attitude. 
you know, we don't presume upon God. And, and um, you know, those are the kinds of things that really cause us to fall into a state of idolatry because we begin to uh, serve functional idols. And we begin to say, okay, you know what, for practicality's sake, for what seems convenience sake, for my advantage sake, this is going to be better. And yes, there's some negative to it, but look at the good that's coming out of this. So, there was a movie years ago called Soil and Green. Did any of you ever... <laughs> yeah, I knew Forrest. You know, I knew it was, as soon as I said the movie name, I thought, nah, they're not going to... Um, you could buy soil. Yeah, this was oh, don't tell me that. This was back in the '70s, and the idea was, Forrest will remember this, that uh, they they were uh, had, you know running out of a, a huge food shortage on the face of the earth. This was a movie set in the future, so they began uh, terminating people's lives at a certain age, and they would turn them into food, little bars of food. You know, so am I right about that? Yeah. So yeah, so it was like when I saw this as a kid. I mean, it was really like. A, it had a very uh, shocking impact on me. But it was totally hidden. But it was totally hidden, yeah. The population didn't know what was going on. Yeah, so all of a sudden people had food. They get these little green bars delivered to them, you know, and oh, we have food, you know, and it was they were killing people and making them into food. So, again, I don't know where I'm going with this. I had a point. Um, Ah, that's right. Yeah, thank you. The sacrifice of one for the good of all. That's they right. Thank you. Make everything green now. And they're trying to make it. <laughs> that's right. So when I hear go green, I'm like, no, no, that's soil and green. No, go red, go purple, but don't go green. <laughs> you know, it's just like. I'm traumatized. That movie really did. The War of the Worlds. That was another one that traumatized me. Could go I ahead. Just back one second. Sure. In Psalm 139 in King James, it says, We're fearfully and wonderfully made and knitted in the womb. Yes. And I talked to somebody who yes. was a researcher, and they said when the, when the sperm and the egg meet, <clears throat> literally things begin, and they said it's almost like knitting. And yes. Joining and splitting. And they said the, the, the Word of God is so complete. Even so long ago, it was, it was like we're woven. Exactly. It's just totally amazing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I know science has advanced. I mean, just understanding the complexity of an embryo. The fact that, you know, when sperm and egg unite, you have everything biologically and genetically complete. You know, and it's, it's just like, um, you know... You, you see the hand of God in creation. You see the hand of God in, in, in the creation of life. So, <clears throat> the moral of this story is, is that as believers, and if anybody wants to just take issue with this, but I believe as believers, we in every way, shape, and form need to see a human embryo as viable human life. It is no a different of a stage than being a teenager, an adult, an adolescent, uh, toddler, it's just another stage of life. It is life. So, in, in essence, you're pursuing what you talked about last week when you were talking about euthanasia. It's about the sanctity of life. Absolutely. The quality right. of life. So Absolutely. Whether it's at the final yeah. end of life or the yeah. beginning of life, yeah. there is tampering. That should not Absolutely. Be and this is the whole umbrella norm of bioethics. Like, you could talk about cloning. You could talk about uh, cryogenics, you know, the freezing of human bodies for, you know, which is typically after death, obviously. But um, all of these have to do with, again, 
changing the viability of life, looking and defining life different than what the Bible would. So these are why these issues become important, because these things have not gone away. And like Forrest pointed out, I'm glad you did, in foreign countries, there is an aggressive movement in many places to continue this search. And they're shipping to America. <clears throat> yep. If you do not feel that embryos are human life, then, then the burden falls on you to describe, okay, how do you objectively define human life? Then when does human life begin? It's different for everybody. And it's different for everybody. I mean, when you can rip a baby out of a mother's womb, you know, at eight months of pregnancy, that to me is, is, it, it is so hideous, I can't even hardly get my hands around it. You know, but that's law. Um, you know, and see, this is the problem. Then human life, somebody decides human life doesn't occur until after that baby is born, right? So, you know, a, a, a few minutes earlier, you can take that life, but like that, now you can't take that life. And it's just, you know, and here again, without the objective standards of Scripture, we're left untethered. Well, the billboards would have been better to write it, like... <coughs> Pardon me? It would have been better for the billboards to say, um, God, uh, we, were, we were humans even before the foundations of the world. Just God yeah. knew us instead of... Um, well, I've seen life begins at conception at, with the... Well, they say that, that at, uh, a baby's heart beats 18. Right. It's almost like now that, you, now that you know, this is being made to life, yeah. like I look at that sign, I'm like, you're See, still that's not even short. You're that's still right. short because you're, yeah. you're still looking at a way to yes. justify what you're really doing. Okay, so now let's just wait 18. Let's make sure we do it before 18 days. Yeah. One really should be yep. known. You shouldn't yeah. at all. Izzy, that's a great point. That's good insight. Yeah, because that really kind of misses the mark too, doesn't it? Okay. I mean, I understand the intent is good, you know, and I have no doubt that, you know, the pro-life movements are man, man, behind man, that. But mankind just keeps looking for a way to justify and feel good for what they're doing so they don't want to see it as murder. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. We don't want to see it as murder. Uh, so, it seems like everything that we've talked about has been uh, against abortion as opposed to against stem cell research. Um, I, I looked online just to check on this. Mm -hmm. The miscarriage rate in the U.S. is 15 to 20%. Mm -hmm. uh, there were about 4 million babies born uh, last year, which means that there were about 800,000 uh, miscarriages. miscarriages. Mm -hmm. So that's a statistically significant number of yeah, it uh, is. potential right. embryos to use for stem cell research. Uh, is that, what do you think about Well, that? you know, I, I, that's a great question. And, and when there is a, a miscarriage, I am not medically qualified to know what, what might be viable and what isn't, so I, I wouldn't want to comment it, because I, I just, I don't know. You know, there certainly are many miscarriages. Um, I don't know if, you know, a miscarriage would, you know, obviously the fetus or the embryo would be dead. So, right? So, I don't know. I, I think that might disqualify it, but I'm not a scientist, so, you know, I'm well, not... a lot of times I think it does, because... Yeah, <clears throat> I, I would think it would. Um, but what if you Well, if you knew your mother-in-law or your mother was going to die within an hour, would you kill her? No difference. No. I wouldn't. Okay, so um, 
let's see where we are. Genesis 9, 6. Um, if the embryo is a human person, if human life is sacred or regarded as something of intrinsic worth, then it is not moral to produce embryos for experimental purposes. Likewise, once an embryo does exist, it is not ethical to arbitrarily destroy it, even for utilitarian purposes. Now, you'll notice here that I gave you other Bible verses, um, and I want you to um, look those up on your own. Um, but I want, to, I want to give you four myths here, and I think we're down to that part of our... You can look those up on your own, and I think they're on your, um, on your sheet there. But I want to just dispel some myths because these are just some common myths about uh, ESCR that I think are important for us to know. First of all, myth number one is that embryonic stem cells are the most effective cells for treating disease, that they're the most effective cells for treating disease. I didn't have time to really go into this, but we have been using stem cells, you know, that come out of, and I think somebody said placentas or spinal, uh, out of... Um, Umbilical cords, yeah, not spinal cords. I knew it was something cord, yeah. Um, we have been using, and they've been using those with great success, and there is no loss of life in that. Um, some people have had their own stem cells harvested after chemotherapy and other things to reintroduce to the body that those that might be fighting certain kinds of cancers. Um, and so stem cell research in no way is um, destroying human life. And here's an interesting statistic. There has not been any real recorded evidence that embryonic stem cells have cured anything or done anything. The last check that I did, they have not done anything. They have not cured anything. They have not helped in any way. Um, where stem cells have done quite a bit in that regard. So those that would want to say, well, this is the most effective way, that's just a flat-out lie. They, there's, there's no evidence whatsoever. And you can look this up on your own, but that is a myth that they are the most effective. Actually, um, and this is, gets into uh, you know, what was uh, mentioned before, that uh, stem cell research, adult stem cell, has been very effective, very helpful. If, if I understand what you're saying, <clears throat> stem cell is not necessarily at the beginning of life. It can be done throughout life. I think so, yeah. Oh, I wasn't aware of it. A stem cell is just any cell that, yeah. is, that can be in transition to be another cell. Exactly. Uh, your fat cells, when you lose weight... I have plenty of those. Yeah, it's because that, I have to that cell has turned into a muscle cell or something else. That, it turned it from fat cell to stem cell to muscle cell. So that's... Any that's cool. cell can be a stem cell. And I would be for all the research in the world that would turn this into muscle. You know what I mean? So, if I could do that quickly, without not without having not having to give up my Twinkies and my you know my chocolate cake. Okay, myth number two: a clear majority of Americans support stem cell research. That's not true. Although I would say in this day and age there are probably many more that do, simply because our society is becoming <clears throat> more antagonistic, atheistic, and ungodly. Myth number three is that excess embryos are going to be discarded anyways. So the idea is, you know, if you can create a bunch of embryos, they would just be discarded anyway. 
Well, if you're creating them in a fashion to be discarded, that's like harvesting people and saying, well, you know, we can only use like 20 of the 100 of, of you, so you're going to be discarded anyway. Yeah, it turned into food. And then myth number four is human life begins in the womb, not the Petri dish. Um, unfortunately, scientists have created life in Petri dishes, right? Is, am I saying that right? Petri. It's Petri. I'm thinking of Rob. It sounds like a British way. Petri, yes. That's right. I'm from Chicago. I absolve myself of any poor pronunciation. Yes, as long as I'm not petrified. I'm partly petrified. And, and this has become a very serious issue as well because, you know, man has pushed the limits of, of the sanctity of life and science has really outpaced the, the moral and ethical restraints that a civilized society would take, certainly as ones who fear God. And um, we have to be careful of this stuff. You know, there is much research done today that is incredibly beneficial. I am glad we live in the day and age we do where we have pain medications, when we have surgery, when we have the level of care in so many ways that we do. Uh, to God be the glory. But the, the thing that we must always keep in mind is there will never be a time when we can discard or disregard the sanctity of life. Life is not about quality. It's about sanctity. And only God is the author of life and death, and he alone has the authority to decide those issues. I was just going to say, unknowingly, we can be helping this entire situation. The example would be Planned Parenthood, sure. where many major corporations donate heavily Yes, absolutely. And yeah. Knowing it, you might yep. buy one kind of detergent. Absolutely. You have no idea that you're you're contributing to the entire. Absolutely. Situation. Yeah. And you know, most people in their da course of daily living for us don't think about those things, no, but we ought to. You know, and there are ways that we can take a stand. There are ways that we can make our convictions known. You know, we're not called to violence. We're not called to. Um, you know, to be disrespectful to people, but we all we are called to courage and boldness to stand for the convictions and to give reason for the hope that's within us. And, um, <clears throat> you know, um, when man begins to assign himself the authority of the value of human life and when it should begin and when it should end, then we are in all kinds of trouble. And that's exactly what's happening. And, you know, it's getting to the point that, like you had mentioned, even at death, you know, you have no control over your whole body. Well, that is spilling into life. And there, I could see laws passed in the future that when you reach a certain age and we deem you no longer a positive benefit to society, we don't have the resources to keep you alive, nor the desire. And so, by law, your time is up. Absolutely. Sure. Well, you know, Aryan race, when you reach a certain age, it was not just the Jews, but the gypsies and the poor, the gays, whatever was yeah. not part of the, the pure race was being discarded. So Absolutely. Yeah. That's what Hideous. We're in danger of seeing. Absolutely.
And genocide has not gone away, and man's evil has not gone away. The heart is still desperately wicked. And this is where we have to stand for truth. So, a lot of tough questions. You know, bioethics and, you know, situational ethics, lots of tough questions. Okay, well, let's pray, and we'll leave it at that for this morning. Father, thank you for just the counsel of your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that so many scriptural verses point us to the sanctity of human life and and teach us, Lord, that you indeed are the author of human life, that life is sacred to you, that you created each person and knew them before they were even placed in the womb. And uh, Lord, we thank you that for those that you called to be your own, that you removed the blinders of our sin and condemnation and brought us to faith in Christ. Lord, we see your loving kindness and your mercy towards us. And we just pray that we would be faithful witnesses, especially in this area of bioethics, to those who are so easily swayed and blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine, that we might see uh, the importance of treating all life as sacred and that you would help us to understand, Lord, that every person is created in the image of God and therefore deserves our attention, our respect, and our love, and even the unsaved, Lord, that we would plead with them to know you and to consider the claims of Christ. So we thank you for that. Just pray now your blessing upon our service, that we would just enjoy our time in fellowship, and Lord, that it would be our joy to praise your name so that you are indeed exalted this day. We thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you guys, thanks. I probably raised more questions than I answered, but that's good. Isn't that what they say a good teacher does, like makes you leave with more questions than what you had when you came in? <laughs> Is that kind of a like an end run around bad teaching, you know, like, oh, I hope you have questions, you know. Obviously, I couldn't answer anything, you know. I don't know.